and welcome to the latest edition of the FWD podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by two members of the FWD Massive, a 48-year-old man using the phrase massive, perhaps not appropriate, but I'm going to go with it anyway. We've got our good friends from DGA. Their contribution to uh, FWD's political work cannot be overstated, absolutely key to everything that we do, and we're delighted to have Catherine and Shona with us today. So welcome to you both. Thank you, James. Great to be here. No problem at all. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's been happening this year in the political world and uh, the implications for policy, and then perhaps touch on some of the work we've been doing as FWD. So, Catherine, what's your summary of the year in politics? Summary of the year in politics, that's a nice easy one to start with. I think that this year has seen a huge shift, huge pivot from business organisations like FWD and also FWD itself to Labour. The focus has been about Labour, it's all about Labour as we approach the general election and expectations are that Labour will win that election. So we've seen this really clear shift in the way that businesses are approaching government, the way that people are looking to build relationships relationships, all focusing on Labour and much less of a focus on what this government is doing because this administration is running out of time. What does that look like in practice in terms of focusing on Labour? Is that talking to shadow ministers? Is that arranging visits? Trying to influence policy? Absolutely. So exactly the work that we've been doing with FWD, it's been absolutely essential and it's really essential to build really strong relationships with Labour, with the incoming Labour team. The shadow cabinet and the shadow team that we have now in place are likely, not definitely, but are likely to come in and form the next government. So getting those relationships in place, building that connectivity now puts FWD and organisations like FWD in a fantastic place to try and influence and shape the next government. And by the way, it could be the next government, not for five years, but for 10 years, because we're likely to see a seismic shift in British politics. We will come on to that a little bit later. So in terms of the government and their political uh, sort of priorities and the things they've been doing this year what's your assessment of that in terms of the what this government has been doing this government has been desperately trying to get through a number of policies and to try and make progress a lot of ministers in their posts at the moment know that this is potentially going to be their last chance to shape policy and to shape outcomes for the country so there's in some sense a sense of desperation i think among some ministers really trying to push agendas and get agendas through i think and there's been a certain areas have become priorities that the government didn't necessarily want to become priorities we saw the um the vote on rwanda and the huge focus that's come about in small boats that's become such a central issue for the government but almost actually it's a, it should be a sideshow a side issue what the government really wants to focus on doing is getting policies through like policies around epr policies that we've been working on to try and improve sustainability for business to try and improve the way that business functions to try and um, reduce barriers to trade so it's been trying to focus on getting policies through that matter to business and we've been working with the government and working with you to try and push policies through to help support business to operate 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems from our perspective to be fairly chaotic, but also a good opportunity for organisations like ourselves and other business uh, representatives to you know draw on that and get them to do less because there's lots of things they don't want to do because it's difficult and they want whoever forms the next government, uh, let's face it, not likely to be them to pick up the pieces like on HFSS and um, and some of the sort of environmental packaging policy into yeah. the long grass, which is helpful yeah. to us. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, only if we use that time wisely to try and shape those policies. Shona, from your perspective, as on the on the more than sort of policy side, what are the things that we've seen which have affected wholesale over the last year? You both said it there, um, both at different times. I think the word to describe policy this year has been inconsistency and chaos, um, with such a shift and. Um, which is such a shift of ministers moving around, priorities changing. Um, we've seen really like patchwork of policies come and go, be pulled back and pushed forward as quickly as possible. I think we found that we're having very we're having conversations with um, officials and with ministers that maybe they don't really understand what business needs and what um, business needs from government and what they need to be pushing forward the policies that they actually we all want to see succeed, which is being more sustainable, creating growth, um, empowering people, skills and jobs. Looking down the line, I think we're going to see a lot more conversations being had with business. They're um, they're definitely in listening mode and they're um, willing to have that conversation to see what good policy looks like. But some of the big hurdles that we'll be overcoming in the next sort of year or so, we'll kind of be looking at that waste packaging, EPR, DRS that has been pushed down the line. But as you said, now is kind of critical. We want to be shaping that policy. And the only way we're going to be doing that is if we have a seat at the table and they're really listening to business and what that looks like. And maybe a little further down the line, especially if we're coming up to an election year, is having those conversations around health policy and what that looks like for the food industry as well. So what do you think is going to happen there? Because we've seen lots of inconsistency and confusion around things like HFSS in the you know, very short-lived premiership of Liz Truss. She was saying we don't want to do this. At the same time, she was actually introducing the, uh, the regulations to allow it to happen. Um, and then we've seen moves to say, well, we shouldn't be regulating in that way. Labour seemed to be relatively quiet on the issue. But lots of our members and listeners will be interested in what's likely to happen on HFSS and uh, ultra-processed food, uh, action on sugar, those types of things. What, what do you think is likely to happen in the next couple of years? Yeah, I guess for Boris Johnson, it was quite a big policy that he really wanted to put forward. And as he lost his premiership and we saw Liz Truss and Sunak come through, uh, they definitely it wasn't it definitely wasn't a priority for them in the same way. And now that Sunak's faced with this cost of living crisis, it's not really a time to be tackling the bog offs and deals around HFSS. So maybe a bit further down the line, and especially looking at a Labour government, um, we know that they do care a lot about health, and that is definitely something that they'll be want they'll be willing to tackle. But they want to be working with business on it. Labour are now the the party that are working with business. They're having those conversations early doors, and the health policy definitely isn't um, set in stone. So now's the time to be having those conversations, and they'll it won't it won't be carrot and stick. They they want business to they want to hear from business about what government needs to do to kind of support them to make their offerings healthier for consumers and also making them affordable. So Catherine, from the perspective of FWD, Shona touched on a really great point there about uh, an incoming Labour government or you know the future Conservative or coalition government want to hear from businesses about what they need to uh, drive growth. And as if, as if by magic, it's something that we've been working on uh, as FWD. What do yeah. you think the policy priorities for the wholesale sector need to be for uh, an incoming government? 
Exactly as Shona says, Labour is incredibly keen to foster a really strong relationship with business, which is great news for us. And I think it will be interesting to see when Labour, if and when Labour gets into power, how confident they are, because actually to drive through a lot of the changes which instinctively they would want, these will not be attuned and aligned with business. So if Labour is feeling very confident and bullish to push its Labour agenda, then it will not necessarily run in accordance with business. Actually, if it comes in nervous, wants to make a good impression and doesn't have the, the lack of experience that it has flows through then it could be that business is more influential i think in terms of the priorities for fwd the policy priorities it will be absolutely making sure that labor understands the sector's position on these really key key issues that could become quite significant moving forward so hfss making sure that where streeting and the health team and the EFRA team understand the real business implications that HFSS policies could have on the way that business grows and uh, directly contributes to productivity in the economy. I think it's really important that we continue to talk about crime. Crime is, the Conservatives have often claimed to be the party of law and order, that's very much their history, but actually they haven't done very much to support and to back up the problems that we have around wholesale crime. So we really need to make sure that Labour understands this. This is great territory that Labour could claim of the Conservative Party. And we should really continue talking about sustainability and net zero. That's going to be continue to be an absolutely key dividing line and central area of policy development over the next five to ten years. FWD and the wholesale sector has a fantastic story to tell and the policies could have major implications for the way that businesses operate in this sector. So we must continue to talk to the Labour team and to all politicians about what they need to do to support the sector in delivering and achieving on net zero. And we actually launched, as you know, a big report this year on that very subject, um, which has gone down really well with uh, officials across uh, Westminster and Whitehall. So really ambitious plans, helping our members on that net, net zero journey. Something we're really proud of and we're looking to sort of build on that next year. Moving forward, as a bit of a spoiler alert, really, I was going to ask you what you think is going to happen in the... Well, there's due to be an election next year, so a couple of yeah. questions. When is the election likely to be? As, as much as anybody knows. And, you know, I think we've probably given uh, played our cards early on this. But what do you think is likely to happen in terms of an outcome of that election? In terms of when an election is likely to be, the received wisdom over the whole of this year was very much about an autumn election. And everyone was expecting, as you know, the latest possible date that we could have the next general election would be very early in 2025. Everybody said, well, of course, the Conservatives will go as late as possible. They want to make sure the economy is in better shape. They want to really try and ensure that Rishi Sunak has a strong record before they go into elections. Everyone was working on the basis of this autumn election in 2024. However, in recent weeks, there's been increasing discussion that I'm sure everyone have heard about the possibility of a May or even potentially an April election happening. And it looks like there are real moves within the Conservative Party uh, to move forward for an earlier election. The challenge for this government is the economy. Of course, the economy isn't going very well. But also, as we've talked about small boats, the Rwanda policy is increasingly difficult for the 
government. There are many different factions and divisions within the Conservative Party. Sunak and his team are finding it really hard to hold that together. And of course, if you go for an election in the autumn, then you've got lots of immigration coming through over the summer. And you've got a very challenging set of local elections happening in early May. So it probably makes sense to pull that election forward and potentially pull that election forward to May. Now, a week is a long time in politics. Things could change. As of the 13th of December, it looks like the election could come a bit earlier in April or May next year. And what that means for us is that we haven't got very much time to shape what goes in the manifesto, really build those relationships with Labour and try and get this government to drive through on the policies that it said it will. So Shona, I think we've again sort of probably revealed our hand and touch on this. What's likely to happen in that election, whenever it may be, May, April, October, January 2025? I'd say probably April, May was what we've been saying. But if it does get pushed to January, I don't think the election will be with Sunak leading the Conservatives. So just to say, if if it lasts that long, then I don't think he will be the one taking them into the next general election. Uh, That's a problem. We're looking at a lot of different possibilities. Um, Obviously, the polls show that I think as of today, the Conservatives have um, the lowest polling that they've had in, I think, possibly ever. So it looks like it would be a huge Labour majority. But we know the polls don't always reflect the truths. um, And so we're kind of working towards a Labour majority, but not not a super strong one. Uh, We know that if Labour even win by one seat, that 50% of the MPs in Parliament will be brand new MPs. And that's a lot of seats to win. So but they've got a mountain to climb to yeah. get even a majority of one. I mean, the last election in 2019 was an absolute washout for them for all, all sorts of reasons, uh, which mm-hmm. we don't need to go into now. But so they've got a long, long way to go to even be the biggest party and never mind a majority. And yes, clearly there's lots of seats which will change hands, but we've had boundary changes as well. So there's a fair few unknown factors. So. Yes, I can understand why people are saying Labour are going to get a majority, but I personally, for what it's worth, obviously my view, I think it's going to be a smaller rather than bigger majority. I think looking at 20, 30, that's the the upper limit of what they can probably achieve. I mean, Catherine, what's your view? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I do think there is going to be a Labour government. I do think there is there's been a shift in people's views of the Conservative Party. We are in 1997, 1997 territory. There is going to be a major change. So I do think Labour's going to get in. I do think they will have a majority. But because of this huge turnaround they need to achieve, the huge mountain they have to climb, it will probably be a small 20, 30, 40 seat majority yeah, as of today. But things can change. Indeed. And Scotland, of course, is a factor as well. Scotland's a factor. Keir Starmer, he's no Tony Blair. He hasn't run around the electorate. So people are very discontented with this government, with the Conservative Party. But there's no huge love and admiration for the Labour Party yet. Finally, on the sort of politics of the thing. So if the Conservatives do form the opposition after the next election, who's likely to be the next Conservative Party leader? Somebody we've never heard of? Or is it going to be uh, somebody perhaps who's already jockeying for a position? Uh, Suella Braverman, you know, she's been very vocal in the news about immigration. Is that part of her pitch to become Tory leader? It's a very good question. It will partly depend on who is left 
because there's going to be a big cull of the Conservative Party with many of the big beasts going and a very different kind of party. And of course, as you know, the voting system for the next leader of the Conservative Party is partly dependent, first of all, but dependent, first of all, on who is left within the Conservative Party. We might end up with a very right wing rump of Conservatives or we might end up with a more moderate rump. So it'll depend who is left on who ends up being the leader. Kemi Badenoch, I think, is in with a very good chance and seems to be holding back and playing her hand quite well at the moment. But let's see who is left and where the others go in terms of jockeying position. And there's certainly a great amount of that going on at the moment. Could even be Nigel Farage, maybe. You never know. It could be Nigel Farage or Stanley Johnson. Yeah. I mean, one of the <laughs> things that we can confidently say about the last five or six years is, Expect the unexpected. Who would have thought in 20... If we were having this conversation in December yeah. 2015, we would have said, oh, yeah, everything's going to be perfectly normal now for the next five years. Yeah. Au contraire. The Brexit voters <laughs> obviously create a massive fault line in British politics, which it, to this day we're still sort of uh, working our way through. So expect the unexpected. But from a business perspective, what should businesses be doing now in order to be ready for those changes? I think what they need to do to be ready is to look ahead. Let's map out what we think the likely policy outcomes are of an incoming Labour government. So, for example, the national living wage was raised significantly more than people expected because we're entering a general election by Rishi Sunak just a few few weeks ago, or the proposal to raise it was mentioned um, a few weeks ago in the autumn statement. So, we need to map out and look ahead what are the things that are likely to happen there's likely to be a further increase in the national living wage business your members should be planning for that what the what's the implications how can they preempt any of the impact of that what is likely to happen around net zero what are going to be the requirements on that what is likely to happen around hfss so i think the key thing is to look ahead, make sure they're talking to us and listening to us in terms of advice on what the policy landscape is going to look like and then planning and preparing their businesses accordingly. And we're really happy to talk to any members about what the implications might be and where they should be particularly planning. Fantastic. Well, we will hold you to that. Thank you so much for your time today and more generally for all the fantastic work that you do on behalf of the wholesale food and drink sector. It's hugely appreciated by all. Yeah, so thanks for joining the podcast and we will see you again in the new year.